Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let Mom's Green Thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give Mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. Welcome back to another episode of Latart on Location. I'm Steve Latart, and guys, when you spent more than 20 years of your life traveling the road, first as a NASCAR crew chief and now as an analyst for NBC, you're bound to meet some interesting characters along the way. With Latart on Location, I try to bring you closer to some of those personalities I've connected with in a bunch of great locations. So sit back, get ready for some off-the-grid conversation. I don't know if I should start with my guest or my location. I'm going to start with my location, 8th floor of the Pagoda, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, the most famous speedway in the entire world. And fortunate for me, I'm sitting here with a friend of mine I've met over the years a few times. I've always wanted to sit down and talk to It's Scott Borchetta, founder and CEO of Big Machine Records, Big Machine Labels, Big Machine Vodka. There was a lot. There's a lot of big machine. There's a lot of big machine. Hey, Scott, thanks, man. Appreciate you joining me. Great to be here. Okay. I don't even know where to start. For, so for the listener at home who may not have heard of Big Machine, I'm not sure you haven't. I know you've heard the music. Florida Georgia Line, Reba, Thomas Rhett, Lady Annabellum, Justin Moore. Still number one? Justin Moore's been Justin number Moore's one. Justin Moore's number one. We have the number one album this week with Midland and their album Let It Roll. So, yeah, it's uh, racing and music. It's still about number ones. Yeah, that's it. It's all about thing. Um, and we're here for a lot, so, so I want to connect the location. You're here, and it's been, it seems like, multiple years because here at the Brickyard, it is the Big Machine Vodka 400 presented by Georgia Line. Did yeah, I get power, that all right? Powered by Powered by. Line. Man, that's a lot. It's lucky I'm not Rick, so I don't have to do the play-by-play. <laughs> that's right. Um, but so, so take me through that. Like, so Big Machine has been at Indy now for multiple years. What does a company like that, like you guys, see in motorsports in here at Indy? So for me, initially, I've been a racer on some level my whole life. Whether it was bicycle motocross, running quarter midgets, getting away from it, running Legends cars, running the NASCAR Weekly Series, got away from racing again. Ray Evernham, your brother, pulled me <laughs> back in. That's a great couple job, years ago, Ray. I'm racing SBRA Series. And actually, I won here last month, and we can talk about that a well, little bit later. That's awesome. But um, it really is about just kind of the culture of it, it emanates from me and there's a there's a race car in our logo mm -hmm. so it started you know 20 plus years ago just going okay how can we have a return on our investment because right. you know if we talk about the business of racing and if we can keep bringing the right sponsors in that we'll see a return you know that's really the critical piece because uh, there are a lot of times where i do things just because honestly it's a vanity thing and i want to be out there i want to be part of it and also too for the fans who are who see that's like man those are that's big machine again right. they do florida georgia line they're thomas rett they're rascal flats they're you know brett young etc so it, it's another reminder but for me to say just big machine records is not really a return it's more of what i call hope marketing hope you saw it yeah right. but the whole initiative behind the vodka is now we have something that we can build on it's a brand it's something you can buy here at the racetrack you can buy here in indianapolis and in nashville chicago atlanta so that's really the specific initiative of we're an entertainment company and that closes the deal you know all right let's have a drink so the money that we are able to invest 
and and make ultimately is that's all going to go back into racing. Right. That's that's my initiative to continue to be supportive, continue to be involved, and you know, be present. And, you know, I always say, I said this when I was racing, support those who support racing. Well, so I'm a vodka guy. So I'm a red wine guy, a beer guy, but if I go to liquor, it's vodka. And I've had it. I, I can't get it in Charlotte, or I've yet to locate it in Charlotte, uh, but I always get it when I come here, and it is good vodka. Thank you. Because I'm a simple guy. Like, I don't put a lot of, you know, in my mind, if you're going to put juices in this and that, you kind of drink whatever. But I'm like a maybe a little soda or maybe just a little ice yeah. kind of guy. And it's uh, good. It's drinkable, which is good and bad in my business. So. Well, Steve, that's how we came to the Platinum Filter. You know, they, I wanted to differentiate because we purchased this distillery, 10 South Distilleries, yep. three years ago. And the, the whiskey is fantastic. It's Clayton James whiskey. It's a very, you know, it's not something that we're pushing out. It's a, it's a product that we are intentionally holding back and, and doing small allocations of. That's our, our Ferrari, if you yeah, will. Yeah, those are the best, right? Yeah. Some of the best things in the world exactly. you can't get. And so the vodka is something literally can go from zero to bottled in five days. And I wanted to rebrand it, Big Machine. And I wanted something to differentiate. And they said, well, we can do a flavor. I'm like, I don't want a flavored vodka. What kind of filters can we do? Well, we can do a charcoal filter. I'm like, no, the whiskey's charcoal filtered. We can do this. We can do that. We can do silver. We can do gold. We can do platinum. I'm like, you can do platinum. Yeah, that just sounds for cool. a record company. Right. It better be good. We lucked into it. The platinum filtering is really the key because what it does is it stretches the ionization, and that's why it's so smooth. It's literally so smooth you can sip it. Yeah. Oh, I I know. Unfortunately, that's the part you got to be a little careful because between that and downtown Indianapolis, if you've never been to Indianapolis, you're missing out downtown here is outstanding but so is in the racetrack we're sitting here uh with scott borchetta myself on the eighth floor of the pagoda probably the nicest suite in i was gonna oh it, it, so we're out here on the balcony if you hear the wind that's because we're out here enjoying the weather in india is outstanding but it's not just a track behind me this big stage yes. huge setup saturday a huge concert who all is playing so it's fgl best florida georgia line dan and shay nelly uh, Kanan Smith, Peyton Smith, Mitchell Tenpenny. We have Blanco Brown, who has this worldwide hit, The Get Up. Oh, yep. I, I, so, yeah, my kids can sing it for sure. I'm, I'm confident. Yeah, so. and uh, I was with the president of the Speedway, Doug Bowles, this yeah, morning. Great guy. He's giddy. He goes, you know what? The way that tickets are trending, I think we're going to have the biggest concert of the year in Indy here at the Speedway. So everybody's so excited. And after getting rained out last year, oh, people can't wait because all the FGL fans in Indy, they missed a year. Yep. So... You know, I, I spoke to the guys this morning in the band. They can't wait to get here. It's going to be a big night. Well, Dale Jarrett and I are excited. We're going. We got to cover the Xfinity race on Saturday, and then that's where we're heading for Saturday evening. So right. it's going to be a good time for sure. Uh, so Scott, we've covered a lot of the current, but I, we need to go all the way back. I think what, let's start with this. This is going to be a simple question. I get it all the time. What's a crew chief do? What's a TV analyst do? You, you got to help me out. I have been fortunate enough to run across a lot of CEOs. What does a CEO of a record label do? Like, what is what is the day to day? You kind of touch everything. And, you know, like a, a great crew chief, you have to have a great team of people. And we started September 1st of 2005 with 13 people. And so obviously at that point I was able to really touch everything on a daily basis. But really you're, you're steering the ship. And, you know, I always, you know, Penske and, and Mr. H have always been idols. You know, how, how do you run a big company like that? And number one, you've got to have great people that you can trust that understand the mission. So probably daily, I'm defining the mission, mm -hmm. redefining the mission, you know, and then I get very forensic on artist signings, what songs are going out as singles to radio in the marketing piece of it. You know, I've got great admin people keep me out of that. 
two things, guys. Here's the mission. Right. Stay on budget. Don't do anything illegal. <laughs> I know? love it. And so, because that way, everybody also has an opportunity to put their own DNA in in what we're doing every day. Because I'm not one who says, I want you to walk this exact straight line at this speed and then turn left and etc. It's like here's here's the mission, and what do you think the best way to go about it? And I'll watch. It's like, I'm not going to let you hit the wall. Right, but right. we'll both learn something. Yeah. That's what Mr. H has always told me is, you know, while, while he provides the vision, the ceiling of the company would be set much lower if he had to approve everything. Yeah. You know, is at some point you have to believe in the people around you. Um, and as you mentioned, since 2005, almost 15, I guess, years in the business now and grown tremendously. Um, take me back to how it all started. I did my research. Your dad was in the music business. Yeah. So that got you in the music business? So growing up in Southern California, my dad was always in the record business, and it wasn't unusual to me growing up that the Beach Boys might come over or some of the other artists of the day. You know, if you go back, and Tommy Rowe. So wait a second. Hold on. I don't mean to interrupt you, but that's the, like maybe the coolest thing I've ever had in my pet. So the Beach Boys would just come over the house. Uh, it, we used to, we had a small horse farm, and they would board their horses at this place in, in Southern California. And it was Bobby Womack. One one Sunday, we actually had Smokin' Joe Frazier over for a barbecue. This so is awesome. it was all this thing. And my brother and I, Mark, who runs the, the business for me on the distillery side, we got to where we wouldn't tell our friends because they didn't believe us. They right, thought we were right. lying. Yeah, right. And so it's just like, hey, we're not going to talk about it. But, <laughs> you know, it was it was pretty amazing. Glenn Campbell was a family friend. And so anyway, I grew up around it. It was in my DNA. And also, my dad took me to my very first race, and it was the very first California 500 in 1970 at Ontario Motor Speedway. Yeah. And that was Al Lentzer. Oh, man. That was the Johnny Lightning car. To this day, Latart, when you see my cars, you see my race logo, yeah. there's still a lightning bolt. That's so awesome. So, me and my brother Mark were always connected to the Unser brothers, just in our own mind. And now we've become, especially with Bobby. I own two of Bobby's most important eagles, the 67 and 72 eagle, and we've become really good friends with Bobby Unser. So it's really neat that it's full circle. So that's where, you know, the music and racing started. It's in my DNA. From, from the earliest memories, those were my two passions. And so fast forwarding, I don't know how far you want to take it, but, you know, th those are really the, the seeds that started everything. That's that's unbelievable because then you end up in Nashville. Yeah. And you work. So so I guess my transition is so it's one thing to be in the business, yeah. right? Like so I'm in the racing business. Yeah. My dad's worked in racing. So so it doesn't shock me that you end up in the business working for different things. But what in the early 2000s takes, you know, did you always think, hey, I'm going to have my own record label? Or was there a moment where you said, I'd better off to do this on my own? Like what was the moment where you sure. took that? That's a big leap. It is. And so, I've been on both sides, right? It's great yeah. to get a paycheck every Friday that someone else writes yep. versus being the guy that has to write that paycheck for everyone else. I think growing up in Southern California, my parents divorced when I was young. I was always independent. So, you know, the different jobs I did, I started in the mailroom for my dad when I started as far as record business and was still playing in bands at that time. And then it got to a point where um, I got my first record job at MCA mm -hmm. and I was national director of radio promotion in 1991 and we were incredibly successful. I had had some promotion experience. I worked for Mary Tyler Moore in the, in the middle, late eighties, had my own business, but that was like the first real job and we killed. It was like, you know, joining right. Hendrick right yeah. before Jeff Gordon. It's just like, okay, man, we're going to seek and destroy. And we did. And that led to 
DreamWorks, opening DreamWorks with James Stroud in 1998, and then DreamWorks was merged into the Universal Music Group in 2004. And Reba McIntyre's husband at the time, Narvel Blackstock, we were on vacation together, and he goes, when are you going to start running one of these things? And it, in the DreamWorks years, starting mm -hmm. like 98 to 04, that's where I started to think, it's like, these guys aren't any smarter than I am. They've just had the opportunity. Right. And so when he brought that up unsolicited, that kind of took the fire to another that's level. That's awesome. And once the merger happened in 04, it's like, okay, you know what? I'm gonna, I literally went to Universal. I said, either make me the president of an imprint or I'm leaving. Right. And I knew they wouldn't. So it let me out of my deal early, mm -hmm. and I raised money. And it didn't. in that moment, I often wonder who that guy was. Right. You know, because I walked away from a really <laughs> well-paying job at mm -hmm. the biggest record company in the world. But it's like, you know what? I can always go back and do that job if I have to. It's go time. And if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this now. And Taylor was my first signing. Yep. And so we had extraordinary s success with Taylor Swift. And then we used that leverage to build out and get Reba McIntyre, to get Trisha Yearwood, to do a record with Jewel, to Florida Georgia Line, to the band Perry, to Thomas Rhett, to doing Steven Tyler's solo record, to doing a record with Garth Brooks. We pretty much touched them all. And, and, and listen, I'm going to add to that. The interesting thing, why, why those stories are great, what shocks me is I've been introduced to you, I don't know, five or ten times. You would know none of that just meeting you. So, you know, it's funny how what I've learned about people are very successful people most of them are normally extraordinarily humble. And that's kind of how, you know, hey, oh, hey Scott, nice to meet you. know. And I'm like, and then I left. I was like, man, I think I recognize that name. And it doesn't take long to connect the dots of, of just what you and your business and your labels done. It's amazing to think of all the music I have listened to in my life that you had your hands in. Um, and we're going to move on to cars and racing, and I have so much more. But before I leave the music business, when I started as a crew chief in 05, there was no simulation, one engineer, totally different. Fifteen, just 15 years. Yeah. If you don't have a team of engineers and simulation and all of these things to run a race team, you're sunk. I feel like it's the same transition in music, right? So when I was 2001, two, three, four, and I was traveling, there was no, I mean, I remember getting my first iPod. That was a big deal that yeah. I had music. It wasn't on the disc. It was yeah. like in this. You can take this. your whole collection with you. Yeah. And yeah. then the streaming. So, so in the history of your company from 05 to now, how has the music industry changed, and how do you stay in front of it? It's changed 100% because in that moment, we were still shipping a lot of CDs. And, you know, one of the things that frustrated me about being at Universal before I started Big Machine is they were trying to hold on to the old ways of controlling distribution, of controlling certain aspects of the business that I could see were dead man walking. Right. And it's like, well, I've got to get ahead of this. And... You know, the, the transition, you could see it coming. And it started with Napster. And as an industry, we, we could not have treated that worse. Yeah. You know, we thought, okay, everybody's stealing from us. Let's arrest them. Right. Let's, let's, let's and it ended up, we ended up suing grandmothers. Right. By right. mistake. Yeah. But it's, and I always say something grew up out of the ground. We didn't know if it was a flower or a weed. And we just decided it was a weed and tried to kill it. Yep. One thing that we have to understand when you're in the entertainment business and you're trying to continually build crowds, and it goes for NASCAR and IndyCar and anything where we need fans, you have to put your ego aside, stand back and go, what are people running toward? 
and why are they running toward it? My job is to understand. My job is to be the psychologist and go, what's on the edge of the mainstream? Yep. Because if you can understand, we know, we know what the mainstream is. That's already working. What's next? Right. Because the next big thing isn't mainstream yet. It's going to be on the edge. It's going to be so powerful, it pulls you in and becomes the mainstream. So we're always looking for, for what our core business is, but the future is on the edge. So my boss, Sam Flood, he's a big hockey guy, and he likes to say, you know, good players are as fast as the puck. Great players skate to where it's going. I always they, say it's the rule of Gretzky. Yeah. you got to be there before the puck gets there. Right. Yeah. So if you hear the wind, it's totally normal because we are outside, eighth floor of the Pagoda Indianapolis Motor Speedway, overlooking Look my favorite. Downtown. I was going to say we got downtown shoulder. over one shoulder. we got a speedway over our right, a stage behind us. Beautiful. Um, which, look, that's the idea. Letard on location. We go outside. A little bit of wind We're truly on location. Us. It is. It's on location. So, um... So we talked a lot about music. Now let's talk about my love. I don't know anything about music. I'm a big consumer. That's kind of where it ends. Cars, racing, race car driver. Yes. I mean, you, you, so so take me on. When did you first drive? When did you first race? How about that? Not drive, but race. So the very first car that I ever drove was we drove quarter midgets. Okay, yeah. And Southern California, the Valley Quarter Midget Club back in the day. And we actually raced Fresno a couple of times. And there was one time, the last time I raced there, there was this five-year-old kid that everybody was really excited about named Jeff Gordon. Yeah, yeah. And so we were at the track the same pretty day good, back pretty good in the kid. day. And uh, so it's something I always loved. And we were good, but we, we weren't great. My dad is not mechanical. So it was up to my brother and I to try to figure it out being 11, 12, 13 years old. And we we did okay for what we had. Right. And then got away from it, but always remained a fan. And then in the mid-90s, Brooks and Dunn started the Brooks and Dunn Summer Legends Shootout with Legends cars. I remember this, yeah. And I remember so hearing we this. Were, I started, I, when they brought the cars to town the first time, I jumped back in just to practice. And I'm like, oh, my God, I got to do this. Yeah, right. This is too much fun, right? Had a blast. So jumped in. Couldn't get out of my own way for the first couple races. Then got with the right guys. Ended up winning the state and regional championship. I won an, uh, one of the Tuesday night races in Charlotte. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Which was which was so much fun to go to Charlotte and beat those well, guys. That's a big deal. So I so I did my son a dis, uh, really a disservice. He races on dirt. And he said, Dad, I want to try a Legends car. Well, you know, I don't test and practice. I just take him to the, that Tuesday night race in yeah. Charlotte. And instantly I realized... Okay, this is kind of the deep end of the pool. I've thrown them in here. Time. I mean, those are all those are of the, the guys. Best of the best. Yeah, those are the best of the best. Yeah. So, yeah, legends. Uh, so, you race some legends yeah. there. And so, in 1998, it's like, you know what? With where I am in my life, if I'm ever going to race big cars, right. we got to do it right now. And so, I started racing super trucks in Nashville. And, you know, you ask any driver who was on the ASA series or any of the first time I met Jimmy Johnson and told him that I was a champion at Nashville, he goes, man, when we ran Nashville, it was like running Daytona for right. us. Right. Oh, yeah. And so that automatically, Jimmy's like, okay, we can have a real conversation. <laughs> but so the first year, again, we were terrible. I thought I could take my Legends guys and move up. Yeah, right. Wrong. Bad idea. And so started to get better the second year. The third year finished second in the points. And then I won the championship the next three years, 03, 04, 05. And so we opened the label September 1st of 2005. My last race was September 3rd. Won the championship, won the race. Basically, it was almost a fist fight. It was, it was the best night ever. No, that, that was a, every great racing story goes that way. Oh, yeah. I mean, and literally it was one of those things. I knew there was going to be a fight. And I told the guys, you know this as being the, the brilliant crew chief that you are. 
my crew chief would never let me put the higher bumper on. Yeah. Because we want all the weight as low yeah, as possible. Right, right. So for the last race, I said, guys, win or crash, give me my damn bumper. Yeah, right. I got to have something to push with here. Here's what happened. Two things. It put just enough weight. The truck handled the best it had. All It pinned the nose Oh, down. yes. And also, too, when he got in my way, just moved him out of the way. And so we won the race, won the championship, and it was just, just the best. But I didn't even tell my wife. I'm like, this is going to be it. And, you know, I got to go to work. I'm putting my whole life on the line right. to start big machine records. And so that was that era of, of my racing career, and I just loved it. And it never leaves you. No. And then, you know, we jumped to... A few years ago, when our, our friend Ray Everett had so 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 you yeah. got to give me that so so yes. you and I both know Ray. You're gonna try to get killed here by the scrim. The wind is picking up. It hasn't blown us off yet, so that's always a good sign. But um, so my my buddy Ray, so for the wind sound, it's because we're on the eighth floor, which was a good idea. It wasn't windy when we started, but now <laughs> it's like we're in uh, we're gonna be blown off with Annie M and all from the Wizard of Oz. So where <laughs> did you meet Ray? So tell me back. So for everyone who doesn't know, Ray Everham basically was my neighbor. Hired me, basically, I think as a favor to my dad, to sweep the floors, gave me my start in racing, taught me so much to know about it, still a great friend today. You're great friends with Ray. Where did your past finally meet? It started as he found out that I had two Dan Gurney Eagles. Yeah, that, that's always with a car with Ray. Yes. yes. And so he wanted to come and do an episode of Americana with yep. us. Yep. And so I'm like, Ray wants to come over and do a show with us? Absolutely. And so we hit it off great. He brought over the Marty Robbins car that used to race at the fairgrounds. Yep. And I was a champion at the fairgrounds. So I got to, to run that 1964 Belvedere at the fairgrounds. And as you know, those guys were, they were such badasses. You know, I get in the car and I put on an old school open face helmet. <laughs> First thing I get in, I, I start the car, I took off. I'm like, there's no windshield. And I'm like, so anything could have flown yep. back through back in the day. And so I got to drive that car, which was amazing. And then we took Ray back and we surprised him. I had acquired Marty Robbins' final cup car. It was Daryl Waltrip's 1982 Daytona car. Junior sold it to Marty Robbins. Marty drove it in his last two races at Atlanta Daytona before he passed that year. And so it was in the Roy A. Cup Theater and it was in the flood in 2010 in Nashville. I called a friend of mine who was the GM out there. I said, where's that Marty Robbins car? So this is about three and a half years ago. He goes. You know, I don't know. I said, you guys don't throw away anything. It's somewhere. Right. Took six months. He called and said, we found it. Meet me and Donaldson, and I'll show you. It's in this warehouse. I go back there, and the car is intact. It's had some water damage. There wasn't a real motor in it. But so back to shooting Americana, we uncovered it, and Ray's like, oh, my God. I've got to restore this car. I'm like, I'm hoping you would say that. <laughs> and so Ray took the car, restored it. We're racing it in SBRA. And... People, it hurts people's feelings because we had this crazy paint job. If you know Marty Robbins, he always had that purple and yellow. Yes. And so when we go, even here at Indy, you know, we finished second in Group 10 last month in that crazy 81 Buick Regal. And it's unless you know what it is, you go, why is it green and white in the middle with the Mountain Dew colors? And then it's purple and yellow. We're honoring Daryl Waltrip and Marty Robbins with the car because I've got pictures of Daryl sitting in the car. You know, you can tell he's telling Marty, you know, some kind of setup or whatever. Yeah, right, right. Talking so, with his hands, like yeah, every race car driver. Yeah. And another piece of the story, if I may go a little bit Absolutely. longer Absolutely, listen. Is uh, I found online, I was just out being an internet sleuth one night, and there was the Marty Robbins 420 at Nashville. It was a one-time cup race. 
And because for the listeners, back day years ago, it wasn't this set schedule. The cup cars kind of yeah. they kind of ran all over the country. Yeah, and they ran at the fairgrounds until right. 1986. And so I'm watching this race. Daryl was on the pole, and the trophy was one of Marty's racing suits and a gold album. Daryl wins. My car paced the race. Okay. Daryl wins. He gets the trophy. And I call up DW. I'm like, hey, watch this race. He goes, yeah, I won that race. I'm like, yeah, I know you won that race. Where's that trophy? He goes, I think it's at the CMA, the Hall of Fame, Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm like, all right, do you mind if I try to track it down? He goes, it should be with the car. You need to find it. So my friends at the CMA, the Country Music Hall of Fame, they have great records. They said, Scott, it's not here. I'm like, okay, let me check with the Royal Cathedral. Scott, it's not here. I called up Ronnie Robbins, Marty's son. I said, hey, DW and I were looking for this trophy, and we can't find it, and I just hope that you have it. I right. hope it's not lost. He goes, I don't have it. Calls me the next day. He goes, check the Kentucky Motorsports Hall of Fame. I'm like, okay. So I hit DW up. He goes, it might be there. DW surprised me a month ago. We have the trophy. I saw the picture yes. on social media. So it's on my Instagram account, and uh, we met for lunch, and he gave me the trophy. He goes, this needs to be with the car. It's so cool. That is so awesome. It's like yeah. an Easter egg hunt, trying to find all that stuff. Yeah. So so you mentioned racing here. Yeah. And this is the, the most famous racetrack in the world, hosts the most famous race in the world. I remember coming here with stock cars for the first time. It was eye-opening. That There's nothing like Indianapolis. What was it like to race here? Just the best thing ever. You know, I, I still get goosebumps when I come through, you know, on 16th Avenue. I, I love this place. I've always loved it. We've always been in awe of it. And to be able to race here and race on the road circuit was was just incredible. You know, I got to be part of Dan Weldon's win in 2011. Right. I got to be part of Dario Franchitti's win mm. in 2012. And... He's you know, one I have to get for the podcast because he has great stories. Dario's fantastic. Every time. Yes. He got me for the scotch tasting. Have yes, you ever heard I've of this? Yes, I've done it. I've so done the scotch, scotch tasting this last, so NBC covered the 500 yeah. for the first time in May. I got into the scotch tasting, and I had a Saturday morning headache from the <laughs> scotch tasting. That well, you won't get that with Clay, so, Clayton James or Big Machine. Yeah, I'm telling you, so. he, he got me. He got me for sure. But, but yeah, yeah Frank Keeney's so cool. Yeah, he's great. And so being able to run here, Johnny Rutherford was running in Group 6 for the V-Rock for the, for the Classic Pro-Am. I got to say that I got to pass Johnny Rutherford at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Very few people got the chance to do that, yeah. so that is awesome. That is awesome. So, yeah, we did the milk, the whole thing, so it was a, it was a really big day. Uh, so but before we get done, I have some quick hitters I hit with everybody, and then after this I want to talk about big year NASCAR, the banquet. We're going to yes. come. I've actually never been, so I can't say never. I've been to Nashville, but I've only been to Nashville to test at the concrete track out oh, okay. of the city, so I've never been downtown yeah, you Nashville. If you have only been there, you have not yeah, been Yeah, right, I've never been to Nashville. Yeah. So, But here's some quick hitters I ask all my guests different quick hitters i put together a group for you so real quick dream car dream car you know what right now my dream car is a ferrari daytona can't beat that that's hard so this one's more for the traveler which i know you are are you one of those habit type travelers same hotel same town same restaurants or are you an adventurer that tries different things we're more of an adventurer we actually my wife and i just got back from italy and we went south for the first time and we stayed in Ravello at this beautiful place that overlooks the Amalfi Coast. So, you know, people go, do you have a vacation home? And I'm like, I'm so anti-vacation home because yep. then you feel tied. You have to go there for every vacation. So we love to go and try different things. So I, I would love to say I need to get my wife connected with yours, but I just think that's going to be a bad idea. A lot of great <laughs> places, but I'm not sure it's going to be the same trips. Um, this is a softball. This one should be easy. Go-to cocktail. 
go-to cocktail would be the Big Machine Mule. All right there. I like how you did that. I'll have to give one of those a try. Uh, so these next three are interesting. So successful. Biggest pet peeve? My biggest pet peeve is waste. You know, waste of time, waste of, you know, assets. You know, when, when you lay out a plan and you specifically say only produce enough that we're going to use, only, you know, I, I'm, yeah. you know, it, it, that's, the, that's the thing. I don't want to walk in and see a stack of something. I said, don't make more. Right. You know, I want to be efficient. And I want to do that in, in my work life, in my race life. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I have a pet peeve about efficiency. You could have run a race team with that conversation because <laughs> I've had that one before. All right. This one I'm, I'm dying to know. I've had to hire. I've had to fire. You run m- many major companies. What's the number one trait in a potential employee or team member? Because it doesn't matter what they're good at or not good at. What's that trait when you find that you know this person's going to work? You know, if there's a certain spark. And I don't know that it's just one thing, but it's passion. And it's also a, a real spark about, you know, somebody you want to give the ball to. It's like, all right, you know, this person can take this. And, you know, I'm always looking for that responsibility with ingenuity. I like that. I like that because you're right. There's something, I don't know how you bottle it, but you know it. When somebody comes to the system, yeah. you're like, that's a guy or that's a girl that could do exactly what we need done. Yeah, because so. for me, it's a gut. I mean, some of my my team are really good but about going down you know 50 questions etc i can spend some you know 30 minutes to an hour with somebody and go you know i have a good feeling about that person and then go deeper because if i don't have a good feeling about them one of my rules is i don't want anybody in the building who when you see them walking down the hallway you want to turn and walk the other way yeah we have i have uh I used to have that rule in my race team. It was real simple. I used to call it, look, we, we have no, a no asshole rule. That was my rule, yeah. right? I'm like, look, we can't have anybody here. It takes too much commitment. We, we are not at a plant or at a factory that we're clocking in and clocking out. While those jobs are great, if you're going to be successful in racing, you live together yeah. for so many hours. You have to be able to, you don't have to love each other, but you have to be able to appreciate one another and respect one another. Uh, the last one, quick hitter, real quick, are you a morning guy or an evening guy? I'm a 24-hour guy. I was going to say, yeah. I, I didn't think there's any way a guy in the music business could be a morning guy, so I was wondering how that was going to go. When I was 25, I looked forward to my first drink, you know, beer, nice ice-cold vodka drink at the end of the day. Now that I'm 40, I'm like, I really look forward to my first cup of coffee. I think I've officially <laughs> switched, and I've become an old man. So uh, there you have it. That's Quick Hitters with my man Scott Borchetta, the CEO of Big Machine Records. We're here at Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the eighth floor of the Pagoda, out here in the wind because it's a beautiful day. we got the scenic Indy skyline behind us, a, a crazy famous racetrack behind us. Yeah, I think uh, they're doing a little bit of sound check back there. I like so, that. Yes. I like that. I'm going. I'm going. Big. We have a big race with a big concert this week. So last thing I want to talk to you about, and I'm excited about this, the banquet is coming to Nashville. So I've always thought that, you know, there was a time there where it, it, they blended together and they went apart, but music... I'll say country music because it's the easiest connection, but music in general and cars, they go one and the same. I can't think of a better car uh, enthusiast, a better car group, a more enthusiastic you know, car fans than the NASCAR fan. We're coming to Nashville for the banquet. Um, we're not going to get into the racetrack. The politics are all over my head. I'd love to see us race at Nashville, but let's just talk about the banquet. How crazy is that town going to be when the race fans come in? I mean, they've had a lot of big events, but the banquet's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be great, and I've actually met with some of the NASCAR team on, on multiple occasions, and uh, we're helping all that we can. And uh, if the stars align, we might even do uh, something at, at one of our properties together, um, which I'm, I'm very excited about. And I think it's going to be great. You know, you look at what the NFL draft did for Nashville, 
and they had more people. That, that, than that opened my eye. I won't lie. So oh, I've yeah. seen Nashville, but you, you know, I'm guilty of seeing it through one light, right? It's Nashville, the country. But when the NFL went there, it shocked me. It, it really opened my eyes on what the city could lay out for a red carpet for a completely different event. For the draft. Yeah, the draft. More people showed up for the draft than will show up for the Super Bowl. You know, it was incredible, and it was a it was a huge party. The NFL did a fantastic job. They came down and really reimagined our whole downtown Broadway. And I, I really encourage the NASCAR crew. It's like, look, they've set the bar. You've got to come in and come in strong. So we talked about where we could do burnouts. We talked about, you know, the different things we could do for the drivers and fans and make sure we have the interaction. But I really want to encourage NASCAR, too. It's like there, there's a big bar here, and there's there's no... There's, there's no fat that we can cut here to do the kind of experience that Nashville can deliver, you know, come strong. I love it. Do you, uh, I had this conversation with someone else. I think if Clint Boyer won it, they <laughs> might have to – They might ha- be careful. They might burn the town down. I mean, if Clint Boyer wins, we're going to up the, uh, the production of Big Machine Platinum Filtered Vodka. Oh, yeah, because yeah, we could literally – and I told somebody else if Chase Elliott won it, it might be the best-looking party I've ever – I don't think I could get in the door. Well, because you know what's wild about that is I get a call from Jeff, from JG, from mm-hmm. Jeff Gordon, and he goes, hey, I want to throw a 21st birthday party for Chase in Nashville. I'm like, I got you. And so I put him with our, our party planner, and they had the best time ever. It was great. So, yeah, JG knows what's going on. Chase Elliott knows what's going on. All right. Well, maybe a weekend. Maybe I'm going to talk to my wife for a weekend in Nashville. Maybe we'll do a little pre-party before the banquet. You so should. We, we know what's going on. I'm here on the eighth floor of the Pagoda Indianapolis Motor Speedway with CEO of Big Machine Vodka, Big Machine Records, Big Machine Label. Does it all fall under Big Machine Label? Uh, you the know vodka's kind of separate. Yeah, the vodka is a separate business. The Big Machine Label Group is now part of Ithaca, which I'm still an yep. owner in all that. We, you know, we had a, a pretty loud, you know, sale. I, this, I heard something about weeks. that. Yeah. yeah, I saw something about that. But uh, you know, I'm very excited about all of our new opportunities in, in our new company. And what it did really is it expanded the entertainment opportunities. I've always talked about Big Machine being an entertainment company. Now plugging in with Scooter Braun, we have film and TV and esports and so many other things, the apparel opportunities that are coming. So now we are really a proper entertainment company. We love it. Me, personally, I've been a big fan of you guys. I I love the music is great. The vodka is great. The support of NASCAR has never been questioned. Uh, The weekend up here at Brickyard, we have great weather. Unlike last year, it's going to be a great weekend. It's the final race of the playoffs. There's so much on the line. Scott, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time. Uh, It's great. I appreciate you putting up with the wind. We didn't know it was going to be, you know, Kansas-type wind here at Indy. We should know better, but it's still a great place to hang out. No, it's, you know, it's, it's truly one of my favorite places, and I've been a big fan of yours for a long time, so it's really fun for, for us to become friends and, and talk about all this stuff, so thank you. Well, appreciate it. So this has been another LaTarte on location. As always, subscribe so you can get it every time the podcast is posted, and rate and review. Let us know what you think. At Founders Brewing Company, we set out to create a beer that lets you embrace the unconventional. Mortal Bloom is a radiantly beautiful, hazy IPA that will wrap your taste buds with intense citrus and tropical notes of pineapple and mango. Coming in at 6.2% ABV with big aromatics and no bitterness, it's the perfect beer, if we do say so ourselves. Visit foundersbrewing.com to find Mortal Bloom Hazy IPA.